0: Heavenly Father, we just read about uh, the work of your Spirit in us and we pray that he might be at work in us tonight. Uh, We pray that our minds might not be on fleshly things, but instead by your Spirit we might have minds that seek after the things of the Spirit. And we pray that uh, your Spirit might help us to understand this part of your Scriptures tonight, but more than that, he might convict us of their truth and he might challenge us to change our lives accordingly. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I once heard a story uh, about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. I don't know if you know who he is. He's the guy that wrote uh, the Sherlock Holmes books like 100 years ago or more. Uh, And the story goes, I'm not certain if it's true or not. I looked it up on the internet. So that means everything on the internet's true, isn't it? I don't know. But um, the story goes he once played a practical joke on five friends of his in London. They were very respectable, successful sort of men. Uh, And what he did was he sent them all individually a telegram. I've just realised half of you probably don't know what a telegram is. But uh, a telegram is what you used to read out at weddings before emails and all that sort of thing. But, you know, it's a communication sort of thing, about 50 steps before Facebook. But anyway, uh, he sent them all individually a telegram and the telegram said, flee at once, all is discovered. And so the story goes, within 24 hours... Every one of them had decided they were urgently required in Europe, out of the country, and they'd got on a boat to get out of England. Now who knows if it's true, it's the sort of story where you sort of think it probably isn't true, but uh, it works because we know ourselves that we have all done things that we are ashamed of. Uh, we know ourselves that there are things that we've done that we don't want anyone else to know sometimes there are things we've done and we don't want anyone to know and when they're discovered about us it's almost like a relief because now we can sort of get on with life and we don't have that sort of threat of people's condemnation and judgment hanging over us Uh, but there are things that if they came out we'd be so ashamed and even more if you think about it what if people could see our thoughts Uh, what if people could actually see what goes on in my mind and, and in my heart not just things I've done and things I've said but but the things that go on in here guilt is a horrible thing Uh, living with unresolved undealt with guilt Uh, always sort of fearing that the consequences of our actions will come home and haunt us and I want to say how much more is that the case with respect to our relationship to God see God sees and knows everything God just doesn't see just the public things, God sees and knows the very inclinations of our hearts, that's how the scriptures puts it. Uh, That's why in every culture people have feared death, it's not just fear of the unknown, it's not just fear of how the death happens, people have feared death because in every culture people have had a sense of the divine of a sense that there is something beyond death there is God there and every person has thought throughout all history every culture has thought what if I deserve God's condemnation what if when I die God is not happy with me but I want to tell you that is the wonder of the Christian message that is the wonder of Jesus and his good news we've been looking at the book of Romans now for quite some time Uh, here at church and it is probably Romans the greatest summary of Jesus and his message you can't get a better one and what we've learned or been reminded of uh, is that even though every one of us is guilty before God even though every one of us have fallen short of God's standards and deserve his judgment every human being has that hanging over our head but and this is the wonder of Jesus and the wonder of his gospel even so, Jesus offers us freedom from that guilt and that judgment and that condemnation. And so tonight, we come to this incredible high point uh, of this part of the Bible at Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, and if you want a verse to, to, to remember for this week, this is it. Look with me on your, uh, on your Bibles. It says, Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus. Therefore, No condemnation now exists for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you don't believe that there is a God, if you don't believe that there is a God who will judge every person for how they've lived their life, uh, for every thought, for every word, for every deed, if you don't believe that, uh, this verse does nothing for you. It's irrelevant for you. At least you think it is. Uh, But I want to tell you if there is, if God made us. And if God gave us his law, a law that we've all failed to keep, uh, and if it is true what his word teaches, that we deserve God's judgment, his righteous judgment, if that is all true, then that little verse, Romans 8 verse 1, is the most wonderful truth. Because it is saying to us, God offers me total forgiveness if I am in Christ Jesus. That is, for anyone who turns to Jesus and believes in Him, we do not have that fear of God's judgment hanging over our heads anymore. We do not need to fear. Our guilt has been taken away. So when we die or when Christ returns, we have nothing to fear. We'll be welcomed by God into His kingdom forever. One of the great misunderstandings of the Christian message is that Jesus came to tell us to live a good life. People think that he came to tell us don't do too many bad things and try to do some good things and hopefully God will look at the good and it will outweigh the bad and then maybe God might just let you into heaven but nothing could be further from the message that Jesus actually preached. He taught that actually none of us can meet God's standards. We all fall short but what he did was he came to offer us forgiveness not a new way to live so much as a way to be forgiven for the way we all live. The Bible calls it justification. God declares us innocent if we'll just trust in his son. So these first four verses of our passage tonight are summarizing that message for us. They're summarizing what we've already learned in chapters 1 to 7 of Romans. So follow along as I read again from uh, chapter 8 verse 1. It says, "Therefore." No condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. What the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. He condemns sin in the flesh by sending His own Son in flesh like ours under sin's domain and as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, these are complicated verses, so you're going to have to look carefully at them with me. Uh, what it's saying is, before Jesus came, we were under what it calls the law of sin and death. That, that was sort of the law that ruled us, that governed us, that prevailed over us. And that's what we've seen earlier in, in the book of Romans. God has made his way clear to all people through his law, but we can't do it. Because of our sin, we can't live that life of obedience that God's law demands. And so the law, what it actually does is it doesn't give us life. It condemns us to death. So you remember Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. But God, seeing that, did something about it. He sent his son, look there in verse 3, in flesh like ours. That is, as a human being like us. And he was tempted in every way, just like us, yet he did not sin. And because of that, he was able to be, and look there again in that verse, a sin offering for us. That is, he was able to take the punishment upon himself that we deserved when he died on the cross. And so because of that, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for those who take up God's offer, and put their trust in his son that is the great truth the greatest truth that every human being needs to know we cannot earn our salvation we're not good enough for God no one can be left to ourselves all we deserve is judgment and condemnation but God offers us this wonderful free gift if we'll just believe in Jesus the one he sent Now, I want to tell you, that is the most important news ever. Uh, That is the essence of what it is to be a Christian, to know and trust in that truth. But I also want to tell you, it's not the end of the story. And that's what the rest of this chapter is about. The rest of the chapter is about the rest of the story for the Christian. Yes, the moment you trusted in Jesus, you were forgiven, you are saved. And we know there is no condemnation, but then something amazing happens. God has even more in store for us. When we come to trust in Jesus, we start a new life. And it's a life lived in relationship with the God of the universe. So God is now not some unknowable spirit in the sky for someone who is in Christ Jesus, who believes in Him. He's not some distant judge who we sort of hope one day might treat us more kindly than we deserve. God becomes someone who we know personally, who we can talk to and who we can follow and who we can understand his word. That's what happens when you become a Christian. And that happens because at that moment, when you trust in Jesus, God sends his Holy Spirit to live within you. I find a lot of people are really confused about the Holy Spirit, not the people who came for Troy's session on the Holy Spirit Theology for Life about a month ago, but other people are. Uh, I'm hoping this chapter might help remove some of that confusion. Uh, There hasn't actually been much mention of the Holy Spirit in Romans so far, and there's a reason for that. The reason is because Jesus is the star of the book. Uh, It's all about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the Saviour. Jesus is the king we need to believe in. He's the king we need to follow and give our lives to. But what the Holy Spirit does is he works behind the scenes. And especially he opens up our eyes so that we can actually grasp who Jesus is and trust in him. So now look down at verse 9. He says, You, however, that is, anyone who believes in Jesus, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit since the spirit of God lives in you but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ he does not belong to him so if you are a Christian you have God's spirit living in you that, that is the thing that divides someone who is a Christian from someone who is not a Christian the fact that we have God's Holy Spirit living in us and that sounds wonderful but what does he do in there you know we have him living in us but what's he doing rattling around in here In the rest of our passage, we learn two of the wonderful things that the Holy Spirit does. And we're going to look at each in turn. Look at them on your outline. The first is, the Spirit enables us and helps us to live God's way. And that's what verses 5 to 13 are all about. Just look with me at how he starts this idea in verse 5. He says, For those who live according to the flesh think about the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit about the things of the Spirit. Now, these are complicated verses, but I think that opening verse gives us the main point, and it's pretty clear. The main point is that a fundamental change in your mindset happens when you become a Christian. Before we receive God's Holy Spirit, that is, before we knew Jesus, our mind is focused on what we call the flesh. That is, our sinful human nature. We live for this world. We live for ourselves. Our mind thinks about and focuses on ourselves and the things of this world. We think we have the right to decide what's right and what's wrong, what's best for us. And in some people, that shows itself in very clear and obvious ways. And people say, look at him, he's a sinner. You know, it shows itself in drunkenness and hate and all those sort of things. And in others of us, it shows itself in sort of more respectable ways, like, you know, pride and envy and gossip. And those sorts of things. But for all of us, the point is God is not in his rightful place in our minds and in our hearts. God is pushed off to the side. But now, if we have the spirit of God in us, now our minds and our lives are sort of recalibrated. Like when you take your car for a a service and get the engine tuned, our minds are retuned. And they are retuned to put God in the center of our thinking and God in the center of our decisions and God in the center of our actions. So look with me at how he expands on this at verse 7. He says, for the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit itself to God's law for it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, since the spirit of God lives in you. Now, this is a very confronting point he's making. If you were not a little bit offended by what I just read out there from verses 7, 8 and 9, you didn't hear it right. It's offensive, really, what he's saying. It's strong language. He's saying, if you are someone who does not have God's spirit, you cannot please God. It's not possible. You can't do it. His point here is to make it very, very stark. In and of ourselves, we cannot please God. Not just we do not, we cannot please God. See, his point here is to make it very, very stark. It's only when we have that resetting. It's only then where we get God in his rightful place in our minds and in our hearts. It's only then that we can please him. Now, it's not saying that a person who doesn't know Jesus and so doesn't have his spirit, it's not saying that person cannot do good things, as we define good, that is. People without God's spirit can still love their family. They can still care for the poor. They can still be generous with their money. But the point is that even those things don't make God pleased with us if we do them while effectively ignoring him. Or if we do them, even more, even worse, thumbing our nose at him and saying, I don't even believe he exists. See, if you think about it, it's actually logical. Imagine if you had someone come and stay in your house, you know, a lodger in your house. And then he ignored you and never spoke to you. And he refused to listen to you. And when he first came in, you gave him a list of these are the rules of the house. And you said, and the only words he'd ever said to you were, yeah, I'll take them on notice see if I want to follow them when I feel like following them and imagine if after a lifetime he came to you and said yeah 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 I know I did all that but I did some good things you know I made my bed every morning how would you feel well the God of the universe created us and he made us to know him and to trust him and he gives us his way to live And even that, by the way, is for our benefit. His laws are for our benefit. They're not arbitrary. They're designed to show us what's right for us and what's best for us. And more than that, he's revealed himself to us and shown us how much he loves us by sending his son into the world to die on our behalf. And yet we, in our arrogance, think that God should be pleased with us for doing some good things. In our arrogance, we think, when I get to heaven on the judgment day, if I just say to God, I did a few good things that somehow he should be pleased for us and say, oh, it is my pleasure to let you into my kingdom. How silly of me to think that I could keep you out of my kingdom. You see the arrogance of sin? God, I know I never gave you the time of day. I know I ignored you my whole life, but I love my children. Even animals love their children. God, I, I ignored you my whole life, but I gave some money to a tsunami appeal once you should be pleased with me now for God to be pleased he wants us to recognize that he is the loving ruler of the world you cannot please God by what you do if you do it with no reference to him that's what this is saying more than that God wants us to recognize that he loves us and cares for us and gives us all good things most fundamentally He wants us to recognize the gift of his son. And the point here is that not one of us does that naturally. It takes the work of God's spirit in us to change that focus for us, to stop us thinking that we are the center of the world, which is the way we naturally think, and to help us realize God is the center. But the point here is now, Now, if we are Christians, if we have come to know Jesus, if we have received this gift of his Holy Spirit, now his point is, it must change the way we live. See, having God's Holy Spirit living in us, it must change everything. It must change the way we live. Look with me at verse 12 and verse 13. This is where he gets to where the rubber hits the road. So then, brothers... We are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See his point? If our mind has been renewed and changed, if we now know God and the wonderful things he has done for us in his Son, then if you know that, live like it. That's his point. Now, we saw last week in chapter 7, I hope you remember, that it's not like the moment you become a Christian, suddenly you don't sin anymore. That's not how it works. No, no, it's an ongoing fight, it's an ongoing battle to live God's way. We still struggle with sin, we still struggle with temptation. But now, what is different is now we want to live for God. Even if we fail every day, We want to obey his word. We want to give God the honour and the glory he deserves in our lives. And it's his Holy Spirit who creates that desire, who makes that change in us. But more than that, it is the Holy Spirit who helps us fight the fight. So as he says there, the Christian is called to put to death the deeds of the body. So with the Spirit's help, we cut out those things that are part and parcel of being a fallen human being with the spirit's help we strive to put off pride and envy and greed and lust and hate and drunkenness and gossip and slander and the list could go on and on and on and as we put those things to death the spirit works in us to help us put on faithfulness and gentleness and love and self-control And mercy and the list could go on and on in the same way. Now, please understand this. If you are here tonight and you are someone who does not yet follow Jesus, then understand this. Christianity is not about you trying to change the way you live to somehow earn God's love or please him. God says, no, 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 what I want from you is for your heart and your mind to change your attitude to me. That's what I want from you. I want your attitude to change. Fundamentally, I want you to admit your need for my love and for my forgiveness. I want you to listen to what my son has done for you and trust in him. Get that right. That's the most fundamental thing. But if you've got that, if like most of us here, you are someone who believes in Jesus, if you are someone who knows that there is no condemnation for you, then God says to us, you have my spirit in you, so live like it. The Christian life is a battle. It's a battle against temptation and against sin, but it's not a battle that you fight hoping you might win God's love. It's a battle we fight knowing God already loves us and already accepts us and already forgives us if we trust in Jesus. Well, that's the first wonderful thing. The Spirit does. He enables us and helps us to live God's way. Now, much more briefly, we come to the second, and you'll see it there on your outline in verses 14 to 17. The Spirit enables us to know God as our Father. So look at verse 14. It says, All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now, I want to tell you, this is one of the most incredible truths of the whole Bible that's captured in this couple of verses. But I think most of us don't realize it. I think we don't realize how wonderful it is because we tend to take it for granted. Because we think God is everyone's Father. We think our Father is just a name for God, it's not. That's not the case. All people are made in God's image, yes, that is true. That's what the Bible says. And because of that, all people are worthy of our respect and our care and our service, but we are not naturally God's children. We are not naturally children of God. We are actually lost sheep or disobedient servants, or earlier in Romans, God's enemies. But because we've grown up hearing the Lord's prayer. Even in public schools, I grew up in Queensland, which explains something, but you know, even in public schools, we prayed the Lord's Prayer once a week at the assembly. And so we just think, well, that's God's name. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. That's God's name. No, God's name is I will be who I will be. That's God's name. God's name is Yahweh. God's name is the Lord. His title is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the God of heaven and earth, the judge of righteousness. If you want God's names, they are God's names and titles. But the wonder of it is that the Lord of Lords, the King of the universe, becomes our father if we will just believe in his son. And so when we do that, put our faith in Jesus then he puts his spirit in us and at that point the God of the universe adopts us as his children. I know something about adoption in my family, uh, my brother is adopted and I can tell you there is no greater example of love in our fallen world than adoption when it is done properly. For a parent to take another child who is not their flesh and blood and say, I love you and I will love you and I will care for you as much as I love the child who is my flesh and blood. There is no greater example of love in our fallen world than that. If you know people who foster children and adopt children, encourage them and pray for them and say, you are my hero because they are heroes and christians should be the ones doing it christians should be the ones doing it because it is in line with our heavenly father see this is the most wonderful truth when we pray to god and call him our father that is not a right that is because he has adopted us as his children and we can only do that because we have his spirit in us See, when we say our Father, when you pray that, you are expressing the most wonderful truth. The God of the universe, the Lord of hosts, the one who should judge us and condemn us. We do not have to fear his judgment. We do not have to fear him. He is our Father and he loves us and we have a personal relationship with him. Where we can come before him and we can ask him for anything. Where he promises to provide for us into eternity. Isn't that amazing? Don't get distracted. Isn't that amazing? If you don't know that, you don't know Christ. It is the most amazing truth. Don't take it for granted. God is your father. And you can call him your father. In my experience, for many Christians, even as we pray our father we're thinking of God as like an angry school teacher. Even as we pray our father, we're thinking of him as like a distant judge. He is not a distant judge. And we think that when we die or when Christ returns, we're just thankful that God might just tolerate us in heaven. See, we've grasped verse 1. I think any Christian grasps verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But many of us haven't grasped this wonderful truth. See, by giving us his spirit, God has adopted us as his children. But more than that, or because of that, he actually includes us in the inheritance. It's not like Jesus is his son and we're like the extra kids he tolerates who come around on Friday afternoons. That's how I treat Sam's friends. Uh, God... Treats us as equals with Jesus. Do you get that? It's amazing. It's astounding. Look at verses 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Do you see that? We are heirs. God has this incredible inheritance for you. And for me, he hasn't just got a bed in the servants' quarters in heaven. He welcomes us into the mansion of his kingdom and lets us share a room with Jesus. We don't live downstairs with the hired help. We live upstairs with our brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the Christian hope. And so I want to say to you, to anyone who will listen, do you know God as your father? Do you know God personally? Have you accepted his offer of no condemnation by turning to Jesus and trusting in him? And now do you know that you can speak to the God of the universe and know that he loves you and you have nothing to fear from him? That is the question this passage asks us. Do you know God as your father? And if you don't, I want to say to you, come to know him tonight take the step tonight believe in his son and so become one of his children and then for those of us many of us here who do those who trust in Jesus I want to say to you you have the spirit of God living in you you have the spirit of God living in you so let's live like it that's what this passage is saying let's put to death the things of the flesh And let's live as people who have God's Spirit within us. And isn't it wonderful that we can pray and ask for our Father's help in doing that? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of the Gospel, that there is no condemnation for those who trust in Jesus. But we thank you also for the wonderful gift of your Spirit, that every person who knows Jesus has your Spirit living in them. Father, we thank you for that gift and we pray now that we might live like that, that we might put to death the things of the flesh, put to death the things we used to tolerate and accept as just part of our nature and instead put on the things of the Spirit. And Father, we thank you for the wonderful reminder that you are not some distant judge who we need to fear. But if we know Jesus, you are our Father who loves us and has a place in your kingdom for us forever and we pray this in jesus name amen